Thank you, Ant, so much. It's great to be with you celebrating this uh, 20 years. Well, I, I'm sort of like, the, imagine this like the drinks reception before the real party, uh, which is a great thing to be part of. And we love this church and Ant and Helen in particular admire the faith journey that it's been over these 20 years. And I want to speak into that as we look forwards, both harnessing the past in order to look forwards and, and step into the future. I think that's always the way we should understand moments of biblical celebration. You're always harnessing the past in order to bring that into the future. And we'll speak about that in a moment. Speak about that particularly from the story of David and Goliath. That's what I want to share. I want to speak about the importance of faith and in particular overcoming, uh, overcoming the kind of faith that overcomes the giants that we face. Because I'm sure as you look back in your life, both as a church corporately and you individually and your family, I'm sure, as Ant and Helen have, you face some giants, some real challenges, and faith is the key difference to overcoming those. And the story of David and Goliath illustrates this brilliantly. The, the story is still something that has kind of cultural capital today. Would you agree? I mean, most people um, have a rough understanding of the story of David and Goliath, not least because it's the underdog story. It's actually still used, isn't it, in sporting occasions. Have you heard this? That sometimes there'll be like a, maybe an FA Cup fixture where you have the, the Goliath who seems unbeatable up against the David figure uh, or the David team. Or you have, may, maybe to switch the, the sports, you may imagine cricket, for example. You have this incredibly brilliant, unbeatable team like England at the moment. And then um, some underdog who hasn't got a hope like South Africa at the moment. <laughs> And uh, I noticed I went for cricket, not rugby there, which was very deliberate, yeah. That was a previous decade. We've forgotten about the rugby. Um, <laughs> anyway, the point is David and Goliath is, is iconic for this story of what this seemingly impossible person did in the face of a huge challenge. And I want to read from the story and then really stir up your faith and expectancy as you as a church celebrate 20 years and step into the future uh, with faith. So I'm reading from 1 Kings, uh, sorry, I'm not reading from 1 Samuel. I was about to be reading from 1 Kings 17. I'm reading from 1 Samuel 17. And uh, if you want to follow it in your Bible, then uh, please do. But I'm actually just going to give you some edited highlights. It's still quite a long reading, actually. So would you please give me your concentration as I read from the, the scriptures, the story of David and Goliath. Now, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. Remember, Israel are up against the Philistine army and they're in a standoff. So Goliath comes out. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Basically, his armor, this guy's so huge, his armor weighs more than me, right? That's just his armor. He's nine foot tall. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to, to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So kind Goliath is trying to save the whole army from a fight and says, let's just have a duel. And if you beat me, we're your servants. If I beat you, you're ours. And surprise, surprise, there are no volunteers. We read on. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now, somewhere else in the scene, Jesse, an Israelite, said to his son, his youngest son, David, take this roasted grain and 10 loaves of bread to your brothers and hurry to their camp. 
take along with you some cheeses, 10 cheeses, to the commander of their units, a nice cheese board for the soldiers, and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul, and they're all men of Israel, and they're fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up his supplies, and set out as his father had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting their war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other and David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, the champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines, shouted his usual defiance and David heard it. Then all the Israelites saw the Philistine, Goliath, and they all ran from him in great fear." But David asked the men standing nearby him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's quite a good insult, isn't it? If you need to need an insult this coming week, you uncircumcised Philistine, don't try that. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then all of that message from David that someone's now in the camp who thinks he can take on Goliath. Of course, that makes its way back to Saul, the king. And uh, David said to, uh, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. But Saul replied, you're not able to go against this Philistine. You're a boy and he is a man of fighting from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep, I I went after it, struck it down, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, and with that in his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked over David and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. Come here, he said, and I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. (laughs) Today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistines army to the birds of the air and all the world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you, all of you, into our hands. The Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he killed the Philistine warrior. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and defeated the Philistines. It's not a bad old book of the Bible, is it? Don't you think? 
What a great story. Um, an absolutely iconic story. And I want to speak into this story some principles that we can learn about how to overcome the giants that we are facing by faith. Anyone else facing some Goliaths in their life right now? I imagine we could probably identify some things that keep us up at night or that stare us down in the daytime that feel like they are the biggest challenge facing our progress in the future. Well, how do we overcome these kinds of challenges in our lives and as a church? Well, the first principle to overcoming the giants is to know that we can't. <laughs> That's a bit, of a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? The first principle to know to overcoming giants is to know that we can't. Of course you can't overcome giants. I mean, look at yourselves. You only just about managed to get to church this morning, didn't you? You're in absolutely no fit state to take on giants. Look at you. Of course we can't take on giants. We need to be just a bit cautious at reading ourselves into the David character in this story, at least in the first instance. We'll do that in a moment. But let's start with a simple recognition that actually, when it comes to real life, left to ourselves, we are not enough for the challenges that we face. And it's actually just quite useful to start there by acknowledging we don't have what it takes to take on all of the things that are against us. Have you noticed that we struggle to live up to our own standards? And we often find negative ways that we are prone to dealing with obstacles and threats in our lives. We give way too easily to anxiety, or at least we have to have a lot of alcohol to lose the feeling of anxiety. And negative coping patterns are actually the way that we try and run away from the real giants that we're facing. Hence, cycles, negative cycles of alcohol, of debt, of overspending, of relationships. So often these things are really just ways in which we are struggling to deal with life. So perhaps we should be honest at the start and say, actually, when it comes to heroes like David, maybe we're not David in the first instance. Would anyone else admit that? <laughs> Maybe actually what this story is telling us is that we're much more naturally, I'm, I, I'll speak for myself here because you seem a bit reluctant to admit it, but I'll admit it. I'm much more like one of Saul's army. Did you notice when Goliath comes out, I'm prone to, despite shouting some war cries, we'll come to that in a moment, when the real challenges square up to us, there's something in me that wants to run away in fear. I'm, I'm much more like Saul's army than this great all-conquering David hero figure. And it's worth starting there to remind ourselves that in the largest sweep of the Bible story, actually that's true. We are Saul's army. And what was required for a victory was for someone else to come into the story from somewhere else. Did you notice the son who was sent by his father into our scene of defeat where we couldn't find a way forward? The son who, by the way, was born in a town called Bethlehem. Does that ring any bells? Are the clues beginning to fall into place now as to who's the real David in our story? And it's not you and me. <laughs> it's one born in Bethlehem. It's one that the Father sent into our world be precisely because we couldn't deal with the Goliaths that we were facing. Precisely because we're dying and we have no answer to death. Precisely because we're sinners and we can't overcome the negative tendencies in our lives. For this very reason, the Father sent his Son, born in Bethlehem, in order to intervene in our story and bring us a victory that we couldn't win for ourselves. The real hero of the story is David. The real David in our story is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We have to start by saying, we can't, but Jesus can. 
He is great David's greatest son. That's why in the Gospels, if you read forward in the story, they often cry out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Here is the one who can bring us the victory that we can't get for ourselves. As David went down to fight Goliath on behalf of all of God's people who were stuck and trapped, so Jesus at the cross went down into mortal conflict with our great of sin and death and hell and Satan himself. And just as David emerged out of that battle, carrying the head of the Philistine, demonstrating his victory, so the risen Jesus appeared on a number of occasions to demonstrate that he had defeated death itself and brought into our human story the ultimate victory that no one else could win but him. Thanks be to God, as the Apostle Paul puts it, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice it's a given. (laughs) He gives us the victory. Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice in the story, this this really is how it works, right? This really is the gospel at work in this story. Because notice, when David defeats Goliath, All the rest of the army who until this moment were trapped in fear and negative cycles, now all of the rest of the army, did you hear it? They all surge forwards with a new victory. That's how the gospel works, right? You receive the victory that Jesus won and that gives you the courage and the confidence and the faith to then step forward into life's challenges knowing if he has taken down Goliath, we can win some victories in his name. Amen. I, I was, if you read on the story, this intrigued me actually, but uh, you, little details that are often missed. But Goliath, it so happens, Goliath had a brother <laughs> and he was also massive, right? But no one's probably even heard of the guy who took down Goliath's brother, a guy called Elhana. Later on in the story, it just says he, he met Goliath's brother and he killed him. <laughs> and it's almost as if once David has killed Goliath, there's nothing going to stop God's people now. Goliath's brother nothing if David has taken down Goliath. And in that same way, God empowers us through the victory of Jesus. But we start by acknowledging, Lord, I am not the hero of my own story. I'm not my own Messiah. I needed the intervention of the one that the Father sent in order to bring me the victory. But now precisely because of what Jesus has achieved, I can step forwards with faith. I'm not going to back down with fear. Because Christ has won the decisive victory, we gather on a Sunday to, to celebrate a risen Saviour and an empty tomb. Amen. And then we step forwards on Monday to meet every challenge with the confidence that we have that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the first principle to defeating our giants is to know that we can't. But because of Jesus Christ, we can. <laughs> in his name and through his victory. Do I hear an Amen. All right, well, on that basis, and only on that basis, can we then consider from David some lessons about how we apply the victory of Jesus by being a people of faith. And the first principle that I want to apply is simply this. Faith, the kind of faith we need to have now, faith won't tolerate the giants. Faith won't tolerate the giants. Did you notice this in the story? Uh, this, this sort of strap line behind, beneath that heading is because Jesus has won the victory... Faith won't put up, uh, sorry, how did I put it? (laughs) Oh no, before that, click back, could you? Faith won't tolerate the giants. Because Jesus has won the victory, we won't settle for defeat. 
I love this in the story. Did you notice David's defiance? It's like everyone else has got used to the fact that there's a giant, Goliath, and there's nothing we can do about it. And did you notice for 40 days they'd been in this ritual where morning and evening, right? So 40 times 2 is 80 times God's people had gone out, and in verse 20 we read that they shouted the war cry. So they had still the right words to say. They were still sort of, you know, saying their prayers and reading the scriptures and speaking out truth and singing the songs on a Sunday kind of thing. 80 times they'd gone out shouting their war cry, seen Goliath and run away in fear. I mean, that is properly stuck, isn't it? It's properly stuck when you know all the right things to say, but your life is a big experience of defeat. Does that ring any bells? We can, we can end up in those places. It's very subtle how it happens because precisely because we're still turning up to fulfill our rota and we're still saying the right things and we're still saying our prayers, but instead of living with a sense of faith and expectancy, we've almost got used to defeat. And no doubt we've, no, we've normalised it to the point and we've made excuses to the point that we, we've kind of so got used to it, it is the new normal. <laughs> and we just assume it will always be this way. It's a very dangerous way to live that, isn't it? Let, let's, be, let's, be, let's be clear, faith won't tolerate that kind of lifestyle. Because Jesus has risen, because he has won the decisive victory, faith says, I'm not going to let defeat become the new normal in my life. I'm not just going to excuse it as, oh, it's just the way that I am, or it's just the way that it is, or it's just the way that he is, or the way that she is. No, 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 we're not going to settle for the giants because Jesus is Lord. And so David steps into this scene with this new voice of defiance. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? It's like he's, not, he's just not got used to it. And he's not going to get used to it because he's absolutely convinced that he serves the living God so we won't tolerate the giants. And I think this is a very important principle for us in the way that we choose to live our lives We mustn't become those who, given that we are serving the risen saviour of the world, we mustn't become those who allow ourselves just to settle for the bullies. Now, I I don't just mean, I don't mean physical bullies, although there can be bullying in the workplace and bullying in schools and all that kind of thing. I actually, I'm, I'm speaking spiritually here, okay? Our fight is not against flesh and blood. But we know when we're up against spiritual forces and we know when we're in circumstances where there's opposition, and you know when, you, when you're just giving into it in ways that actually are accepting a defeat. And you know that faith says, no, no, we mustn't tolerate the giants because Jesus is Lord. I remember uh, moving school when I was a boy and um, I, I, as a new kid, I quickly discovered in the playground that there was a bully in the school or he found me, I think, and, uh, and roughed me up a bit. And I remember returning home um, from that day with a black eye, you know, uh, to, to, and my parents, my, you know, I couldn't hide it. So my mum saw this and my mum's response was all, you know, very, very sort of um, motherly and uh, very New Testament you know, turn the other cheek and we'll be nice. And, but I think my father, my father decided to take more of an Old Testament view to the whole thing. <laughs> and he sort of pushed my mother aside and said, I'll handle this, love. And he took me into his study and he said, right, son, this is how to make a fist. <laughs> and, uh, and he sort of taught me how to punch, basically, in his study. And he said, right, if he comes to you again tomorrow, then warn him once, warn him twice. And if he doesn't back down, you know, rock back and hit him as hard as you can. Um, in this soul Lexus, I think, was sort of instructions. No headshots, just, you know, wind him. 
And it roughly played out like that the, the next day, and that was the, the end of the school bully, uh, or at least the school got a new bully. I'm not sure which it was, but uh, anyway. <laughs> now, again, I'm not... Uh, <laughs> Again, I'm not, um, I'm not advocating for that kind of parenting, so let's <laughs> that's not how we're talking to our children, I hasten to add, in case social services are listening. But the, the, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the principle is a spiritual one, right? There comes a point where we have to say, we're not going to put up with the bullies. We're not just going to accept being pushed around, spiritually speaking, because Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I ask you, what have you resigned yourself to? Maybe in your own personal life, there are just cycles of negative defeat and behaviour. Keep looping around them and you've almost just accepted them as the new normal. Listen, if Jesus Christ is risen, they are not normal. And it's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. And, and it's not part of who you are in Christ, right? It is part of your old nature, but it's not who you are in Christ. So you need to start reckoning yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. And you need to stand up to the bully and say, I'm not living that kind of life any longer. There are decisions that we need to make that have a David-like defiance about them that says, this will not define me. It will not be part of the normal who I am. That kind of reaction or that kind of negative coping habit or that kind of addiction or hidden sin in my life, it's, I'm not giving into it. I'm, I'm getting my fighting spirit back in Jesus' name. And then what I wonder what we've given into even just culturally and socially in our, in our work environments. Isn't it easy to find that you feel so overwhelmed by the Goliath-like challenges that we face in being Christians in the world that we just almost be, become too complicit and too compliant and too quiet in our faith, just slightly bullied into submission. No, no, no. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then we say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not just going to accept defeat and go quietly. The church needs to find its voice again. We need to find our courage again to say, actually, we have good news and we're going to live boldly and clearly for Jesus Christ. Faith won't tolerate the giants. Amen? Secondly, and out of that, faith learns to fully rely on God. Faith is a, a muscle, a spiritual muscle and the more we exercise it, the stronger it grows, right? And so learning to fully rely on God. I use the word learn very carefully, very deliberately. You don't just get faith in that sort of full download sense. You have to learn faith as part of a journey of truly relying on God. And you may start thinking to yourself as I'm giving this message, well, I haven't really got much faith. Hey, listen, faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Right? So it's not really about the size of your faith, it's about the size of God's faithfulness. That's what you're, really, what you're really stepping out into, is not yourself, but faith is a step of trust into the greatness and reliability of God. So if you've only got a very small amount of faith, do something with it, and it will grow. Right? Don't let it all be so incredibly mysterious that you feel like, well, unless or until I'm like the person on the stage, I can't really do anything for God. Use what you have. Stop comparing yourself to others and hiding behind those excuses and step forwards with confidence. Can I, particularly, can I say this? If you're a new Christian, you're quite new to faith, you probably feel completely overawed by the spiritual giants in this room and you think, well, until, you know, for years ahead of me, all I need to do is just keep my head down and learn a lot because I don't know anything and I can't really do anything. 
Listen, can I remind you in the story, David was the grocery boy. Did you pick that up? He wasn't meant to be fighting at all. Did you see that? He was meant to be delivering cheese to the soldiers who were meant to be doing the fighting. But that didn't stop him. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic? I mean, I really, I really think that's quite stunning, isn't it? You turn up to a scene where you're not even, you haven't even got a sword, let alone been trained in how to use it. You're nothing. You're just, just leave groceries over there, go back to your sheep, is basically what his brother said. I left that bit out of the reading for time, but that's basically the response. Yeah, just thank you, for, thank you for the Tesco delivery. Now go home, right? That was basically the attitude. But David refused to just settle for excuses of, well, I don't know enough or I'm not well trained enough. He took the faith that he had and he did something with it. I want to encourage you today, wherever you're at in your journey with the Lord, take the faith that you have and do something with it. Faith is a spiritual muscle. Use it and it will grow. Now, this is what David did. He said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. Can I just remind you at this point, by the way, it's just important to remember, isn't it, that David, at this point, had never read the story of David and Goliath, right? We slightly forget that sometimes, don't we? But he'd actually never read the story of David and Goliath. He was actually busy writing it at this point, so he'd never read it, right? So this is extraordinary faith, isn't it? Because we just assume that he knows the outcome that we he didn't know, except by faith. So what he then says by faith is, is really quite remarkable. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now notice the logic of how faith works here. The Lord who has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the, and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Notice the tenses, right? This is how faith works. It draws on the past tense in order to, to, to imagine and to speak forth the future tense. Do you see that? He has rescued me. And so precisely because of what has done, been done in the past, he will rescue me. I'm stepping into the future. And I want to encourage you as a church, this is what the 20th year of celebration is about. Amen? It's about celebrating the lions and the bears precisely because you've got some Goliaths to take on in the next 20 years. It's about saying the Lord has rescued us from so many battles and we're going to celebrate those and we're going to do that properly. But that is not just storytelling. That is story writing material. Yeah, it's not just storytelling. Faith doesn't tell stories. Faith writes stories. The, the storytelling is to inspire fresh story writing. Because of this, we are stepping forwards into this kind of faith and adventure with the living God who hasn't let us down and who will not let us down. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Uh, I've spoken to some of you who are maybe newer Christians, but I want to speak to those of us who've been on the journey for a few years now, maybe for all of the 20 years or for, for a lot of those, or maybe you've been a Christian even much longer than that, and you've got some great stories to tell. And that's wonderful. But don't get stuck telling stories. Make sure you're also busy writing some stories. Don't get stuck being able to speak of great things in the past Step forwards from those things into new ventures of faith. Isn't it easy to get stuck on this one? I, I have to challenge myself on this all the time because it's so easy to 
If you've, if you've had some years of experience, it's so easy to almost allow something of a sort of middle-aged spread when it comes to faith, right? You just sort of, you used to be quite fit, but now your faith has just become a, almost something that, that's a memory of the past. No, 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 I want to encourage you, get back to the gym when it comes to faith. How fit is your faith today? That's the only question that's relevant when Goliath's coming up against you. Not what have you done in the past, but how fit is your faith today? And David stepped forward with a fit faith that was able to take on the giants. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the lion will rescue me from the Philistine. Notice that. The lion he's taken down in the past, the Philistine in the future. I don't know what kind of confidence you need to take down a lion even, let alone, I've never, I've never certainly never taken on a giant, but I have actually been um, trained by Maasai warriors to, uh, to fight lion. Um, I don't know if you, yes, there you are. You can see this uh, photo. We were in Kenya the, almost this time last year, and you can see me there jumping. Uh, in, with the Maasai, you have to jump um, to earn your stripes and try and, unfortunately, I failed, because if you jump high enough, you actually, I think, get a wife. Um, is that right? So, so I'm still married to Charlotte happily, and it was all fine because I just couldn't jump high enough. But, um, but, but anyway, you can see here these, these Maasai warriors, and you've probably seen documentaries, or you may even know them better than I do. But what was interesting was they, they really do face lion attack regularly, and they, they, they have to, they, you know, they're trained in how to handle that. And, they, and I was intrigued by this. You know, what kind of confidence do you need to have to take on a lion? And it was very interesting to me. Two things they, they highlighted. Number one is the sheer authority that the Maasai have from the clothes that they wear. These red robes, the lion know not to go near them. They fear them. And you can actually see this. It's quite extraordinary. But you can see Maasai walking towards lion, even lion who are tucking into their kill, lion move away when they see the Maasai coming. Just sheer authority in who they are. Can I say to us today, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The sheer authority that we have in Christ is extraordinary. We, we have no idea what we look like to the opposition when we are in Christ. When we are in Christ, darkness moves away because we are clothed with a light that cannot be overcome by that darkness. The second thing he said, though, was more intriguing. Uh, in fact, it was because he was showing me how to throw a spear. Uh, there wasn't a lion there, it was a tree. But showing me how to throw a spear in the, in, the, in the event of. And as he threw the spear, something dropped out of his pocket. And being useful, I said, oh, you just dropped something there. And I, it was his mobile phone. And I love this. <laughs> True story. It was his iPhone. I, <laughs> They're completely authentic Maasai. They live in their village. They, they take online. It's all genuine, but they also have mobile phones. And he, and he did actually admit to me, he said, oh, yeah, I'd never go out without one of those, he said. I, I need, you know, you've got to be able to call for help. <laughs> well, that's the other thing about us, right? We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and we can call for help. We call on the name of Jesus. We lift up the name of Jesus Christ and we are clothed in his authority. And on that basis, on that basis, we can take on every challenge that comes our way. And with that, I turn to our final point, which is simply this. Faith then speaks up and steps out. Faith is a verb expressed in words and actions that apply the victory of Jesus. You see, those first two points, faith won't tolerate the giants, and faith learns to fully rely on God. 
Those first two points, good though they are, they don't actually get you taking down Goliath. They get you to believe that you can, but then you've actually got to do something. You notice with David, he actually had to do something. And it's only at this point that he actually steps out from the cover of safety, leaves behind the other troops, and faces up to the giant Goliath. And when he does, he does two things. He speaks faith, and then he does faith. I know that's not grammatically correct, but faith is a verb. You've actually got to do faith, not just have it, you've got to do it. And this is what we see with David. Firstly, he speaks faith. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands for the battles of the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Here, David is winning what you might call the air war before he wins the ground war. He's going over the head verbally now. There's a sense in which faith must be articulated and spoken. You've got to actually speak forth your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, even before you've seen the giants fall sometimes. You've got to have that ability to say, I'm I'm actually not going to just back down to this. I'm going to stand up to it and speak over it the victory of Jesus. Notice David here even imagines by faith Goliath laid out on his back and dead. He's he's kind of already seen the victory and he speaks forth that victory even before it's physically happened. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not yet see. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? You've got to almost allow faith to be that spiritual imagination that even when you're up against great challenges in life, you begin to see the victory and then you begin to speak out that victory in the name of Jesus. I find for myself sometimes that I actually, you know, whenever I'm facing challenges or just opportunities and I want to see faith, I I find I'm increasingly realising that one of the most important things I bring to my work and to my family is my faith. It's like, it's not just your expertise or your skill, it's, but but what, have you got faith for the work? Have you got faith for the ministry? Have you got faith for the task? It's not just turning up, it's turning up with expectancy. Amen? And, and that means sometimes I, I have a little, little circuit that I do, a little walk. It doesn't take very long. But as I, as I go around this walk, often each lap of this little walk that I do, I'll often choose a different area of life where there's a challenge. And I just begin to lift up the name of Jesus over that challenge, articulating my faith and confidence in the Lord over that challenge. Because faith has to be spoken out and declared with a certain confidence. And only then, notice, does David actually do faith. He speaks faith. And then he does it. He actually steps forward. And we know this part of the story. It's the most famous bit. He ran and took to the wards of the battle line, reaching into his bag. He took out the stone. He slung it. It struck the Philistine on the forehead. And uh, the stone sank in and he fell face on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine, the sling and a stone. Here, David, having spoken faith, then he does faith. It's a verb. You've got to not just believe the correct things. You've got to step and tread on those things that you say you believe. So if you say, I believe in Jesus, well, then you need to get baptised as your way of treading on that belief and saying, I'm actually going to do this faith. So I, I want to ask you today, have you, maybe you're relatively new to faith. If you, if you believe in Jesus, that's not a passive thing. Make it an active thing and be baptised. 
right? That's the New Testament way of saying I'm treading on my belief and making it a verb. I'm doing it. But equally, if you say today, I believe there's a God who heals, well then pray for the sick, right? You get the point. Because that's actually treading on the thing that you say you believe. Faith is a verb. If you say that you believe there's a God who provides, well then give generously. Because then you've you've trodden on the thing that you say you believe. If you say that you you believe that that Jesus is the saviour of the world, well then tell people about Jesus in the way that you live your life. Step beyond the comfort zone and articulate your faith so that people can hear it. You get the point. If you say you believe the church is the hope of the world, well then take up some ministry responsibility and get stuck in. Tread on the thing that you say you believe. Faith is a verb. There were a whole army of people who 80 times now had gone out singing the war cry and didn't really do anything with it. And that's not faith. Faith is the kind of person like David who says, well, if if we actually believe this is true, let's do it. Amen? And I just was thinking with you guys, you know, that 20 years ago, that must have been an awful lot what it felt like, right? You know that that move was a move that said we actually believe this is true. And then across that 20 years, in more ways than I understand, though I know a few, there will have been so many moments where it's actually saying, no, no, we do actually believe this is true, so we're going to do it. And so many other amazing people have joined the cause. But I want to invite us all to be fully invested in this adventure of faith. Amen? To be fully invested in this adventure of faith where we are so far beyond what is comfortable and safe. Are you living so far beyond what is comfortable and safe? Imagine David feeling, you know, have you ever had that feeling? You can feel it in your back when there's actually no one there with you. (laughs) And you think, this really is me against a nine-foot monster. That's what faith feels like. It's profoundly uncomfortable. And over the last 20 years, you've been just getting used to getting... Getting comfortable with how uncomfortable it is to be on the journey of faith. Well, that's what it's like to be a Christian. We are believers. You notice that? We, Christians are called believers. That's, that's who we are. We're a people who put ourselves way beyond what's comfortable in order to be part of an adventure of faith. I finish with an illustration and then I want to invite all of us to apply it to ourselves. But in 1859, there was a famous tightrope artist called Blondin. I think you can see a picture of him here. And uh, famously in 1859, he crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Isn't that extraordinary? And um, crowds gathered to, to see this extraordinary feat. He had a balancing pole the first time he went over. And then he, um, he, he was a Frenchman. And so he went back with a balancing pole. But this time he actually um, ate an omelette uh, halfway across Um, And then by the time he reached the other side, he came back pushing a wheelbarrow. And then he pushed the wheelbarrow with a huge sack of potatoes in it, all demonstrating his incredible competence to walk this tightrope. And the crowds loved it. They thought he was amazing. And then eventually he got back to the side, having just pushed a wheelbarrow across with a huge sack of potatoes in. And he turns to the crowd and says, now, do you think I could take a real person across in this wheelbarrow? And based on what they'd seen, they were like, yes, do it. At which point he turned to one of them and said, right, well, hop in. Hop in. And at that point, they slightly retreated. 
Because that's the difference, isn't it, between believing in the sense that you think the idea might be true and actually doing it by faith. And this message is really David's story. Jesus Christ today is really giving one big invitation. 20 years on in the story, he's saying it's time to hop in again. It's time to hop in again, to move beyond declaring that we believe it's true to actually putting ourselves back fully invested in the adventure of faith. Amen? Amen. Let's respond. Would you like to stand with me as I lead us in response? In a moment, I might actually ask Charlotte to come and lead us in a bit of prayer as well. Oh, you are. Great. Um, but uh, before, we, before Charlotte prays and just prays into some things we were sensing as we were praying for you, I just want to um, ask if there's anyone here who, for the first time, or as a recommitment because you've wandered away, you want to actually put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've heard the message today and you know enough to know that you need to hop in and give your life to him. Would you just um, close your eyes with me and I'd like to just pray for anyone who's in that place. So you just say, today I want to hop in and put my faith in Jesus. And just so I know who I'm praying for, everyone else closing their eyes, would you just pop your hand up and give me a wave if you say, I want to pray that prayer. Fantastic. Thank you. Is there anyone else who says, I want to do that today? Wonderful. Anyone else? Just give me a wave if you do, and I'd like to pray for you as a first time or as a recommitment. Well done. Thank you. Just keep your hand up just so I can see it. Lord, I pray over these people. I thank you for them. And I pray now in the name of Jesus, they would be given faith by the Holy Spirit to believe the good news that Jesus Christ died for their sins and was raised again for their salvation, that they no longer need to be bullied by fear and guilt because Jesus is Lord and he's loved them and he's with them. And I pray now, come Holy Spirit and fill the believers with fresh confidence, fresh faith, fresh peace and joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Perhaps for the rest of us, you, if you know that this message, for all of us now, if you know this message is spoken to you and it's, it's time to activate your faith again. It's time to say we've seen some lions and bears in the past, but we want to write some new stories for the future. I just want to perhaps invite you just to lift up your hands before the Lord. If you know that's, this is a real moment of challenge and um, Charlotte and myself are just going to pray over us. Lord, we thank you that we can testify, we can tell stories of you being the God who's brought deliverance, Lord, in the face of giants, in the face of challenges, problems in the past. That's illness, unemployment, housing issues, relationship breakdown, Lord, all these giants that we face. Lord, and yet you've delivered us from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear, Lord. And we know that you will. Thank you for the amount of wills that we've heard in that story. Just David's strong faith, determination that you are the one that will deliver us, Lord Jesus. We just thank you, Lord, that you are the deliverer. You are with us. You are by our side. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We commit to rehearsing the victories that you've led us in in the past. We commit to doing that, to, to chewing over, to celebrating, to praising you for what you've done in the past in history, history of the Bible, Lord, uh, history in our own personal lives, history corporately, Lord, as a community here, and celebrating and rejoicing in what you will do, Lord, in the future, the promises you've already given and, and the new promises, the new challenges you want to birth amongst us as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
And so, Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus over every challenge that we face moving forwards now. We, as, as we lift up our hands to you, Lord, we are acknowledging, firstly, that we can't do it. Uh, we, we thank you that there's almost a peace that comes by starting where we started this message. We are not enough. It's not about us. We are not the hero in this story. We, we lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, you are our hero. You are our Messiah, our Saviour and Lord. And you have won the decisive victory. But because of that, we say, well, then we're not going to tolerate the giants. And I pray for everyone who's lifting up their hands today because they've allowed things to become normal that should not be normal. And they've allowed themselves to be bullied into a place of quietness and submission to the world around that's not the, the way of the Christian faith. And I pray, Lord, now that you would help us to break free from that kind of oppression that has bullied us and that we would stand with our head up and our shoulders back again to believe freshly in the victory of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, where there are negative cycles in our lives, that we would decide today that is not going to be me. <laughs> That's not who I am in Christ. And I'm not going to accept that as normal in my life. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus we would not tolerate the giants. And secondly, I do pray, Lord, that we would learn to fully rely on God. Thank you for David, who, though he'd not read the story of David and Goliath, he wrote it by faith. And he drew on those past bears and lions to step forward in a very uncomfortable place, way beyond what he could do or what other people could cover his back. He was fully relying on you. And we lift our hands to you today. Just lift your hands now if you say, I want to get back into that uncomfortable place of fully relying on God. I want to get comfortable again with being uncomfortable with the challenge and the sense of inadequacy, but knowing that this is the only way to write a new story of what only God can do is where I put myself in a place way beyond what I can do. And, and I choose that lifestyle. I choose not to settle for comfort and security. I choose the life of faith. And Lord, I pray that for Forest Town Church. Thank you for the past 20 years, for lions and bears. And we step forwards into the next 20 years to be a people fully invested on the adventure of faith in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thanks, folks.